Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, July 11th, the Fish and Candy edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm an editor at Slate. I'm the author of the forthcoming book, How to Be a Family. And I'm the dad of Lyra, who is 14, and Harper, who's 11. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. I'm a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire. And I am mom to Henry, who is almost 18, Teddy, who is 16 and a half, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 19. And joining us today in beautiful Durham, North Carolina, on the American Tobacco Campus, is our today's special guest host. Please introduce yourself. I'm Amy Scott. I teach eighth grade English and contribute to Slate's as a teacher column. And I'm a single mom by choice of Arlo and Patrick, who are four and three quarters. Uh, they're quite adorable. Uh, hello and welcome, Amy. Thank you so much for joining us. Today on the show, we have advice for a woman with a new college-age stepson, kinda, plus a question about fitness-obsessed friends, plus triumphs and fails and recommendations as ever. Let's start with triumphs and fails. Rebecca, do you have a triumph for us today or a fail? I've got a triumph for my son, Teddy. He passed his driver's test this week. I'm following up on the... uh, (laughs) This is very, very exciting. Uh, I have been to this stupid DMV in Newport, New Hampshire. That's like 40 (laughs) minutes from my house. Three times in the last two weeks. It's been very annoying. Uh, But we went on Monday morning, bright and early. He had his appointment. He was very nervous. I was very nervous. Uh, I was sitting inside the DMV at a window, and I looked out about 15 minutes after he was finished, and all I saw was uh, my husband, whose car we used for the test. I saw my husband's car parked in the lot with nobody in it, and I saw the guy who gives the test sort of sidling over to another car, and I hadn't seen Teddy come in, so I was like, oh, no, he failed again. And he just like went off for some they sort put him of in like jail. no, I thought he went off for some sort of like walk. That's what he does when he's upset. He's like, I'm going for a walk. Uh, so I was like, oh, oh great, now I have to walk around fricking Newport, New Hampshire, looking for my 16 year old. Um, so then I turned around to gather up my things to go do that, and I saw him standing at the counter, like filling out the thing to get his actual license because he had passed, and he passed with flying colors, and. We could not be happier. He's super excited. The minute we got home, I, like, sent him on an errand just so we could, like, rip off the Band-Aid of him, like, getting in the car by himself and going somewhere. And he hasn't driven a ton yet, but he can do it, and he is very excited to be able to do it. And it's a huge, huge deal for him. So I'm very proud that he persevered and went back and just did it and got it done, and now we never have to think about it again. So that's a thing. It's very exciting. Congratulations. That is super great for Teddy and also Super great for you. Mostly great for me. Yeah, especially next year, like after school when he has some activity and I don't have to be the one to take him there because Henry won't be here anymore to take him. Right. So I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> Is he still in the honeymoon stage where he's like, hey, mom, do you need anyone to go to Walgreens and get like Q-tips or anything? <laughs> not yet. Because that would require actually wanting to be helpful, which he's not quite there yet either. Right now, he's just like, <laughs> he's still getting used to the idea that like if he wants somebody to come over, like he can just go get them. So he's used it for that twice. And uh, we did send him to the store once and he was like, are you just sending me because you want me to drive or because you actually need this thing? And I'm like, 
does it matter? Like, here are the key. I'm literally handing you the keys to a car. Like, what kid would say no to that? Um, but no, he hasn't quite done that yet. I think he's still, like, feeling it out. Like, I don't think he's he's quite... Like, his brother and his stepsister both, like, jumped in a car and immediately left, and he's not quite there yet. But he can, and that is a huge step. Congratulations. That is a great triumph. Uh, Amy, how about you this week? What do you have for us? Um, I have kind of a classic fail-into-triumph thing that you probably had when your kids were toddlers, which was that on Friday night, Patrick was making a series of bad choices, and I made a threat (laughs) um, about what would happen next and if he got out of his bed again and he did and so then i was facing a saturday with no tv um, that, so was which a, is that was a real mistake. more yeah. more of a punishment on myself Huge error. than on him um and so and it was looking it was like rain predicted i mean it was the worst possible and i'm a single mom and so you know tv is my respite um so yeah it was it was it was a bad move on my part, but I turned it into a, um, you might you might remember three years ago, my fail was that I had made it to, for them to age two with no, no TV, no screen time. And then in the 12 days after their second birthday, Patrick had watched um, The Incredibles 12 times in 12 days. <laughs> I do remember that. And you yes. were like, that's not a fail. No. You were like, it's a, it's a it's quality a gift film. you've given him. <laughs> yeah. Very One, quality. it's a quality film. And two, you have lots of time to, to fail on this front. You are going to fail on screen time so much. And I totally have. I have failed a lot on the screen time. But... Um, but I was like, I'm going to stick to my guns. We're going to do this. So we, you know, I got up. I went to the Y in the morning. They played in the play space. We got home. Um, I can't remember all the things that we did. But one thing that we did was I was like, okay, we're cleaning. I said, go play. And he's like, I don't want to play upstairs, you know. Um, and so I said, okay, we're going to clean out old toys that you don't want anymore. Um, so we went up. And for a couple of hours, it was like, do you want this? Yes. Do you want this? No. Cleaned out like four garbage bags worth of toys for the thrift store. So there is um, now space, which it makes me feel better. Right. Um, And he also sort of got reacquainted with his toys because I think that he forgets that he has toys. Sure. Well, because of his friend, the TV. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Because he watches so much TV. (laughs) And so he um, so he's like, oh, there are toys actually up here that I like and and I want to play with. And so even the next day, there was a time when I was just like, go play upstairs. And he's like, "Okay," And he ran upstairs and he played with his toys. And I was so happy. Great job. I hope you learned your lesson, though, never to take away TV again. I I take it away in increments. Mm -hmm. I try to, at least. So I say he's obsessed with... So the reason I'm talking about Patrick and not Arlo is because Arlo has Down syndrome. He's developmentally delayed. He watches Garfield only. That's all he wants to watch. Um, Patrick will watch a variety of things. But right now, he's obsessed with Hobby Kids TV. Do you know about this? Absolutely not. Oh, my God. It's like a... Okay, it's a family... That has a YouTube channel, and they—it's basically just them being a family. Like they play games, they play in their pool. It seems like they're—I guess they're a wealthy family based on what their house looks like in their pool. But they like do challenges with their like taste test challenges with their like soda stream machine, like mm-hmm. blindfold. I mean, it's just basically—I mean, it's a—I guess a, f- a funner family than average. They—they they have more fun than I do, but they also do like, oh, we got a new toy. Let's un—they do the unboxing oh, thing, right. which right, is right. like a. I toys guess is, given to them by companies that they exactly. don't do. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But Patrick is 
utterly obsessed with it. And so I try and take that away first before I go to full no TV. So um, it's hard. I bet Harper watches that all the time. And I just have completely tuned out. I don't know because it's, I mean, the kids are all boys and they're like, eight, six, and four. Mm-hmm. So maybe not. I'll tell you, like, the thing that thing is to me comfort about your story there is knowing that I'm not the only person who tries to figure out, like, anything about anybody on YouTube based on the decor of their home. That's what I do the entire time I'm watching yes. these stupid videos. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it's like this kind of just sh- not exactly schlubby dad, but kind of a schlubby dad and kind of a well-made-up manicured mom. And they do, they I mean, they do organize these fun things for their kids to do like oh here we're gonna do this game in the pool and you know the challenge is this and so they make everything a game and so I get I don't know I don't know why he's obsessed with it but he loves it what's their name hobby kids tv I feel like spinning a little bit off of Rebecca's note about this like I do think you could use this to instill you know a little bit of class consciousness right you Mm. could be like the hobby kids are going to be the first ones against the wall when the revolution comes. <laughs> Dark. Like, that's useful for him to know. I'll start, I'll start talking about it. Good. Right I think that's great. Uh, today, I have a triumph. Um, it's a very small-scale triumph. Uh, so since last fall, Harper has been sort of periodically, maybe once a week, saying, Dad, can you play that song? And I'll be like, what song? And she go, the song you play, huh? this, you played it at Thanksgiving and it's about fish and candy. And I'll, and every time. The one that time, goes la la la. She, no, she doesn't even have that much. I'll be like, well, do you know how it goes? She goes, no. And do you know who sang it? No. Do you, did I play it on the record player or on speakers? I don't know, dad. It's the one about fish and candy. And so this has been happening, I mean, since a few weeks after Thanksgiving when she supposedly hold, uh, heard the song for the first time, I guess. I don't know. She loves it so much, but I can't identify the song. No, I've asked multiple people. Ali and I have like puzzled through it. We could not figure out what the song was. And part of us was like, there is no song that is about fish and candy, Harper. You are fucking with us. Or you remembered it wrong. Or I don't know. I don't know what it is, but this song does not exist. And this past Sunday... Once again, she was like, Dad, can you play the Fish and Candy song? And our friend Sean was over with his kids. And I asked Sean, Sean, do you know this song? And Sean is like a music encyclopedia. He's a musician and he records music and plays. He's like, no, there's no such song. So I felt very buttressed in my belief that Harper was full of it. And um, <laughs> Always a good thing. Uh, and then later that afternoon, uh, I was like scrolling through my iPod to just find like what song I was going to play. And all of a sudden... I fucking got it. I figured it out. <laughs> and I called Harper to the kitchen and I said, Harper, is this it? And I played the song. Hit it, Jessica. Is that Give Me Back that My song Man is by give the me B-52s? Back my man. <laughs> yes. Yes, by the B-52s. That's correct. So... My mistake was believing there could not be a song about fish and candy. Uh, but of course there is. And of course it's by the B-52s, America's greatest band of weirdos. So I guess it's sort of a fail in a way that I didn't believe my daughter for nine months um, and thought she was lying to me. But the look of total delight 
when she walked into the room and that play song played and she went, oh, that's it. It was like I was a magician. Uh, that was very gratifying. And I felt great that like finally the like the 95 percent of my brain space that is occupied by songs from 30 years ago, mm-hmm. that that finally was put to use in my parenting life. So that was very satisfying as well. So that's my triumph is that I, I figured out the song that Harper's been <laughs> bugging me about yeah. for nine months. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Before we move on, uh, let's do some business. Slate's parenting newsletter is the best place to be notified about all our parenting content, including Mom and Dad Are Fighting, our parenting advice column, Karen Feeding, Ask a Teacher with our guest writer, Amy Scott, and everything else that we do. It's also, of course, a short email sent from me to 2,500 of my closest friends in which I tell horrible stories. Um, you can sign up for that at slate.com slash parenting email. It arrives once per week, uh, and I think is worthwhile if you are a person who wants to be reminded of the stuff that we publish. As always, if you have a question you would like us to answer on the air, please leave us a message at 424-255-7833, or you can email us at momanddad at slate.com. And visit us on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. It is a very fun community, 10,000 people strong now, uh, and we moderate it as best we can so there are hardly any assholes at all. In Slate Plus today, we're talking with our guest teacher, Amy Scott, about the summer slump, which I think is bullshit. She's going to tell me I'm wrong. (laughs) To hear that segment and other segments like it, and to get ad-free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus, Slate Plus's Slate's membership program. It is a great way to support everything that we do. For just $35 for your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad Are Fighting and your other favorite Slate shows. And of course, in return, you will get extended ad-free versions of this show and many other great Slate shows, plus a ton of other great benefits. So support the show, support Slate, go to slate.com slash plus and join Slate Plus today. Okay, onward. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Let's take on some listener questions here on Mom and Dad Are Fighting. This first question was emailed to us. If you would like to email us your questions and have us address them, probably answer them authoritatively on the air, send that question to momanddad at slate.com. At the very least, your question will be read by the one and only Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad Are Fighting, a year and a half ago, I found myself unexpectedly single. Shortly thereafter, I found myself unexpectedly in a serious relationship with the man whose son was just about to go to college. And now I find myself living in the same house with a college-age teenager, and he finds himself living in an unfamiliar house for the summer with an unfamiliar person. Here's the thing. I can't quite figure out my role in this situation. I can't figure out what's reasonable to expect of myself emotionally or what I might expect of the son. I can't figure out how much direct authority I should exert. And most urgently, though perhaps not most importantly, how much, if anything, to say to each of them about their interactions with each other. Do I talk to my boyfriend about his parenting choices or let things go? 
Or am I more like a child-free outsider sticking her nose where it doesn't belong? And when the son tells me how he views his dad, do I tell him how much his dad loves him and how hard his dad tried to provide the environment and support that the son needed, even if he didn't always get it right? Or do I leave it alone and just let him express his feelings? My relationship with my boyfriend is amazing. We communicate well about everything, including my anxieties and uncertainties about my relationship to his son and my anxieties about having a teenager living with us. But my boyfriend isn't a great source of help for navigating this. He always knew he wanted kids, and being a single father has been so much a part of his reality and identity that I don't think he can really put himself in my shoes. This boy deserves to be loved. So far, though, I can't tell if I like him. He spends all of his time in his room with the door closed. I want this boy to be comfortable in this house, even while I'm struggling to be comfortable with him being in my space. I want him to feel loved, even though I don't really know him. I want to strangle him when he behaves exactly the same way that I behaved as a teenager. I find my parents' phrases coming right out of my mouth without ever passing through my brain. And when I screw up, even in little ways, I try to acknowledge it and apologize. But when I try to project our relationship into the future, I just can't figure it out. I am not close to my nieces and nephews, so I don't have those relationships to draw on. I know that I don't want to be distant, but maybe that's not realistic. I think it might be possible to settle into the sort of cool aunt or cool family friend role, but can we ever see each other as family? And would it be sad if we didn't get there? Thanks. Rebecca, I would love for you to start off on this one. (laughs) This emailer is feeling very lost at sea, Mm. and I would like you to try and help bring her to port. I feel like I've been training my whole life for this question, to be honest with you. <laughs> so I'm really excited about it. <laughs> uh, I want to say to this listener, first off, there are so many wonderful components of your email. And I know that you are having all of these feelings. And probably the one that you are most guilty about expressing is the, I don't know if I even like this kid feeling. All of that is completely, for me, um, mitigated and like completely like canceled out by the fact that you say he deserves love and you know it. You want him to be comfortable in this space. You know it's a you thing and not a him thing. You are wonderful to be approaching this in this frame of mind. Uh, so I just want to first say that because being a step parent, new step parent is really hard, very tricky to navigate, and you are so lucky. You are in the luckiest, best case scenario possible because you don't have a four-year-old around whom you have these feelings. You have like an 18 or 19-year-old around whom you have these feelings. And the really great news there is that you can tell him everything you just told us. You can tell him every single thing you just told us. You can take him to dinner just the two of you, and you can say, hey, listen, this is a new situation for you. It's also a new situation for me. I just want to tell you about some of the things I've been thinking about and get your feedback and just like see where our expectations should be. You can say, for instance, uh, you know, I never know kind of how much to get involved and stuff between you and your dad. Like I see both of your points of view. I understand that you have your own feelings about your dad. I know how much he loves you and tries. And I also know that like I'm not your parent and I want to be helpful and I don't want to like intercede in the moment, but I want you to feel like you can come talk to me and I want him to feel like he can talk to me. Uh, You can say that to him. Uh, You can also say to him, you know, 
it would be really, really tough for you and almost adult and me an adult to just meet and the expectation to be that we instantly love each other like lifelong family. Like You can say to him, I don't think that's fair to you to expect you to have those feelings. I don't think it would be fair to anybody to have those feelings. So why don't we just start here? Why don't we just start at getting to know each other? I want you to be comfortable in our house. I want you to feel like it's your house. How do we get there? And then just let him tell you. And maybe he'll say, I don't know, but I'll tell you it will mean a lot that you said it and that you said it that way. Um, The other thing that I would, the only piece of advice I would give you, because I think it's a very natural feeling and I've been there myself, and this is the one thing that you really want to just think about a lot is the whole like, you know, in the whole in my space, like this kid is in my space kind of thing. Because the thing that you have to remember most of all with that feeling is that like he didn't choose this at all. Like this is just the situation that he is now in. And he did not, for example, say like, how can I like ruin this uh, nice person's house by like moving into this room and locking the door and playing video games in here all day. This is just a situation he's in. So anytime you feel annoyed by something that feels like a perceived invasion of your space, you have to remember that he in no way woke up that morning and decided to do that to you and it is not his fault. And the way to make it feel like his space too is for you to just take that feeling of this is my space and he's annoying being in it, put it in a box, shove it under the bed, never look at it again. I mean, it's okay to have the feeling. Just don't ever express the feeling is what I'm trying to say. But mostly what I wanted to say to you is is that what I said at the beginning, you are so, so lucky. You are coming at this from the right frame of mind. You will, if you do these things, if you just talk to him, if you develop your own relationship with him independent of the relationship with his dad, not a relationship based on the expectations of love or parent-child or any of that stuff, but based on mutual respect and uh, an attempt to understand where each of you is coming from and an attempt to sort of agree that this is a weird situation that you're both navigating and you're going to get it wrong and then sometimes you're going to get it right and you guys should be able to like point and wink across the room when you feel like you're getting it right but not feel like all the pressure to have everything be perfect, you should have that conversation with him. And if you start on that foot, I promise you, immediately, you will feel better. He will feel better. The dynamic will begin to change. And at some point, you will figure out whether you're the cool aunt or the family friend or the stepmom that he can come talk to about things he's not comfortable talking to his dad about or perhaps can come talk to you about some conflict he's having with his dad and you, instead of feeling like you have to be on your boyfriend's side, uh, can say, listen, I hear where you're coming from and when I was a teenager, I had some of these same feelings and here's how I dealt with it and just leave it there. Like that can be exactly where you go because you're starting in the right place and you're dealing with an 18 or 19 year old. You are in a great situation and I really envy you and I'm really excited that you sent this letter to us because you've basically written the script for your your conversation uh, with your boyfriend's son. You were indeed born to answer this question. <laughs> You've been preparing your whole life for it. Great job. I would back. I would really back up Rebecca on on everything, but very particularly on a way of framing this um, situation in your head, which is not that you're stuck in an uncomfortable situation that you don't know what to do about. It's that you've been given a really great gift by fate. Um, or whoever, uh, a kind of very brief, very low stakes training wheels parenting experience in which you only have to figure out how to behave this summer. In September, this kid goes back to school. Who knows? You know, this boyfriend is great and maybe you'll be together next year, but everything will be different next year. The next time you're encountering this kid on this turf. 
And and as Rebecca says, the fact that he's 18 and not four or three or seven or whatever, or God forbid, fucking 13, um, <laughs> like that, that also means that you can address this with him in, in a very different way and in a way that that, yes, that allows you to start on something of equal footing instead of feeling like you have to, like, manage him in some way. And that seems really important to me. I would like to ask both of you guys about another note in this letter. Um, which doesn't get a lot of play, but seems also important to the letter writer, um, which is how does she talk to her boyfriend about his relationship with his son or should she at all? My inclination is she shouldn't at all. Like, like there's not a lot of upside during this two month period to like getting deep in with your boyfriend about the, the way that that relationship works. Instead, your role this summer is maybe to sit back, observe, see what happens, come to some conclusions maybe, and talk about them with him later. But there's a counter argument that you should be having a conversation like this with the boyfriend too right away because you have the opportunity to do so and you can express these things. But what do you guys think about that? Amy, what do you think? I feel like I'm sure they've had a conversation. Don't you think that she's had a conversation with her boyfriend about? The letter implies that she's like not quite sure how to broach that and it's not clear if it's because she there's things she thinks are wrong or that worrisome mm. or just that she's interested and she doesn't like know how to start i one thing that she doesn't say I, i'm assuming that they these that she is the same age as her boyfriend so there's like a a, a significant age gap there's a gap between the you know and so she's a peer with her boyfriend so i guess i would say um I mean, they are in a relationship and people in relationships should have conversations about things that are important to them. What? <laughs> I mean, I really shouldn't be talking because I am a single mom, but I I, I do kind of think that, yeah, why not have that conversation about because it's important to him. It just seems so full of pitfalls to me. It like is. That- I feel like that's where the stumbling blocks are. Like that's where the guy could be like, that's not your business. Mm. And like, that seems like a wedge, but maybe it could be fine. Okay. Okay. I don't know. Rebecca, what do you think? I I think there's a middle ground. The way I wouldn't frame it is we need to talk about your parenting choices. (laughs) The way that I would frame it is because she said that in the letter, right? Like, do I talk to him about his parenting choices? The way you would frame it is is I would say, you know, wow, your relationship with your son seems complicated sometimes. Like, how can I help? Um, Or, um, you know, if you, and this is the thing, this is what what will come, because I know this from experience, what will come from you developing your own independent relationship with his son. Like, I can't stress to you enough, like, how important it is for you to have your own independent relationship with his son that is not based on I am dating your dad, but is based on the fact that you're dating uh, his dad and that you want to have a good relationship with him and it can look like anything. It does not have to look like parent kid. When you have your own relationship with this kid, it will change the way you want to talk to your boyfriend about his parent child relationship with this kid because you'll be coming at it from a better understanding of how this kid feels and it won't 
no, it'll be no longer be about like, here's how I would do it differently so that you get a better result as a parent. It will be about here's what I'm seeing. You know, I'm seeing your son uh, really likes to stay in his room. He loves a lot of alone time. You know, he's doing whatever. I'm seeing you be frustrated that he's not coming out immediately and having dinner with him or with us or whatever. You know, I'm I'm wondering if maybe we can just talk about this differently. If maybe we can just agree that like two nights a week we do that because you'll have like that that you'll have your independent relationship the same way that like a cool aunt would or a friend of the family would. Like I have this um, these friends, this very very close couple friends of ours, and they have two kids that are about the same age as my two kids, and the father. Father and the son, who's the younger kid, who's the same age as my 16-year-old, has have a complicated relationship. I can talk to this kid and his dad about each of their relationships, and it's neither about what a crappy son you are or about you need to do a better job as a parent. It's about, wow, this is really complicated. Like, do you want to talk about this? And here's what I'm seeing. Like, do you need help? And <laughs> and it, it, it changes the dynamic. So that's what I would take out of it. It's totally possible to talk to him about his frustrations and whatever. And I think that having a relationship with the son can only help with that. And as you pointed out, Dan, like, it's, it's a low stakes for now because she has this period of time now of this summer but the rewards you could reap if this ends up being a long-term relationship are so great that it, I think it's worth uh, trying it now, like dipping your toe into it. But I think it will stem from having a better relationship with the kid. Yeah, I, I agree. And and <laughs> I was just thinking when you said that, like, if this is a long-term relationship, then the, the you know, the kid is also going to be a long-term relationship. And it's kind of like if you don't deal with it now, it's going to be so awkward in 10 years. You know, it's like when when you forget somebody's name that you just met and you just go on like not asking their name and it gets more awkward and more awkward every time <laughs> you talk to them because you're like, well, now it would be ridiculous to have this conversation. You know, I think that it needs to happen sooner rather than later in case the relationship goes on. That's a really great point. Emily? <laughs> Um, Andy? Yeah. Uh, all right. You guys have convinced me that talking to the person you're in a relationship with about things is a good idea. You should try it. I'll try it. I'm going to give it a shot. Let us know how it goes. Gird your loins, Ali. I'm coming home to talk about stuff. Uh, okay. Uh, we got one more listener question today. Uh, once again, read by Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad are fighting. My daughter is nine and she has a best friend who I will call Jennifer. They spend a lot of time together. Jennifer's parents are fitness buffs who are obsessed with eating healthy, to the point that it feels more like a thinly veiled eating disorder. I'm worried that this is manifesting itself in unhealthy ways in Jennifer and that it could rub off on my daughter. Recently, Jennifer has been talking about other kids' weight, including comparing them to my daughter. For example, so-and-so is even skinnier than you are, and Jennifer is constantly commenting on the number of calories and sugar when we feed her. Any recommendations for how to keep this from impacting my daughter? And do you think I should mention this to Jennifer's parents? Thank you. Body positive in this house. Amy, you had a very strong reaction to this letter when we sent the emails around. Do you want to take this first? Sure, I did. I probably because of my own lifelong issues with food and body, I did get fired up about this one. I um, I definitely think you should protect your daughter from this kind of talk. And I don't I don't know if you should talk to the parents about it. It sounds like they're super into it and they would probably dismiss your concerns. And um, but I think I actually think that you should talk to your daughter for sure about 
how odd this is. And also to Jennifer. And I I don't mean like, you know, sit her down and explain how her parents are wrong. Um, but they are wrong um, because all the research has says that restriction leads to binging and dieting is actually the best predictor of long-term weight gain. Like 95% of people who lose weight on a diet gain it back. And the vast majority of those, the 95% will gain additional weight. Um, I... I can recommend a whole bunch of books on the topic. There's um, Intuitive Eating by Tribbley and Resch. There's um, Health at Every Size by Linda Bacon. There's a great new one out called The Fuck It Diet by Carolyn Dooner. It is really great. And the blog of um, Isabel Fox and Duke is also great um, on this topic. Um, but I, I, I hear, so read that stuff to sort of back up your own um, opinion. Um, or position on this topic. But I think that you could, the way that you could handle it with Jennifer is that you could frame it as sort of a family cultural thing, kind of. So if she says, you know, so-and-so is skinnier than um, than you, um, you can just kind of wave your hand and be like, oh, in this family, we don't comment on other people's bodies because that might make them uncomfortable Mm. Um, and then change the subject. Um, If she starts calorie counting at the table, you can say something like, you know what? People ate for thousands of years without knowing about calories or grams of sugar. And human beings are actually designed so that if you listen to your body, it'll actually tell you exactly what you need to eat and how much you need. And and you're allowed to eat more than your body says sometimes. It's your body. You can do with it what you want. your daughter is going to get these messages from society so, so, so much. She's and I, definitely already getting and it. And I hate, I hate that it started already. Um, and so I, I, intercede now. Do it now. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I think this, I think talking to your daughter, um, if you haven't already had conversations with her about this, is a smart move. And there are a lot of great resources for how to have that conversation. Um, and yes, I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast a, a number of times before, but the, the best possible message um, is for parents to really steer clear of commenting on about weight at all, uh, of dwelling on what kids are eating and whether they're overeating at all um, to really just to, um, to maintain a very steady firm uh, grip on the message you are sending, uh, which is that the goal is to eat healthy and it doesn't have anything to do with uh, with trying to lose weight or gain weight or anything. It is trying to have a healthy body and to eat foods that make you feel good. And But the cupcakes are, are delicious and you should have some, them sometimes. Right, sure. Yeah. Uh, it, and that all things are fine in moderation, right? Um, and And all the research really backs that up, as Amy points out. Question of what to say to Jennifer does seem tricky, and I think that framing it in terms of parental rules is a very smart idea because kids, like nine-year-old kids, are really starting to get the idea that different families do things different ways, and there are probably a hundred other things that Jennifer's friends do in their houses that are different from what Jennifer does in her house. Like in some houses, they don't do morning aerobics at seven thirty for an hour and a half. Um, and so she's already starting to come to grips with this notion that, oh, you know what, different families do things in different ways. And that's a very like non-judgmental, easy way to make 
to talk about that and to establish that it's like a philosophy. It's a rule. It's a thing that we do in this house. And so, you know, just like we ask you to take your shoes off, uh, we ask you to follow this rule as well. What do you think, Rebecca? I think that people who are super into fitness are really fucking boring and do a lot of damage to the people around them with their careless type A bullshit where they actually make value judgments about the quality of people based on what they're eating and not eating. I think that it's it's something that's bothered me for a long time. Like as somebody who... um, believe it or not, I went through a period of my life where I was super into fitness. And I have friends who are really into fitness, but not the kind who uh, only talk about fitness. But I do, uh, in my time doing fitness, like did know people like that. And I think that there is a problem uh, with that sort of like mentality of like, I do my cardio at this time, and then I do my weights. And today is leg day and today's back day. I don't think people realize when they're into that lifestyle that it's literally all they talk about and how poisonous it is to the people who are not part of their like hobby fitness lifestyle it's really bad i mean there is sort of like it it sort of like meshes itself and i'm sure i'm going to get nasty emails about this but i don't care uh go ahead and at me um there is something about this mentality it's like very type a looking at every calorie every molecule you have to have a little bit of protein before you work out and then you have to have like a little recovery protein or whatever plan you're on that it is like a real it, it takes over your life it really sucks away some like positive other qualities you could be doing in your life like that spontaneous lunch with a friend uh, where you have, you know, a Sauvignon Blanc on a hot day at an outdoor cafe and you're the person who's like, I can't do that because it'll mess up like my post-workout protein, no alcohol day or whatever. Like it, it's not good. It's not good in terms of like the quality of your life or the quality of the life people around you. And it's especially not good for kids. I mean, it's totally one thing if you're really into fitness uh, and if you're really into lifting and you're really into like your peloton or whatever stupid commercials with like the peloton in the middle of the gorgeous living room thing if you're really into that uh and you're a parent i think it's really important to make it clear to your kids like this is a thing i'm really into it makes me feel really good uh it's you know it makes me feel happy in my body it makes me feel healthy um and to not let it get confused with messages about how Uh, the quality of a person's character is tied to whether or not they have the same interests and hobbies around fitness that you do. I think that's something that we can just like tell like fitness parents right now. Like if you are a fitness parent, think about how you're talking about it with your kids. Think about the messages that your kids' friends are picking up. And for God's sakes, please talk about something else in front of kids and other adults <laughs> other than how many calories you're consuming and how much of it is protein. It is so boring. It is so incredibly boring. A heartfelt plea from Rebecca <laughs> to the fitness parents <laughs> who have not previously been driven away from the show by how obviously slothful I am. And <laughs> uh, me. No, no. I'm Times totally, two. look, I'm totally with you on that. And, and, you know, whatever. I know people who've gotten super into training for marathons and they got briefly boring and then they got interesting again afterwards. Um, but like, it seems to me that the primary issue here is not only like the sort of judgment that often gets conveyed from fitness people toward non-fitness people, but the very specific messages that those fitness people deliver to their kids about food being bad or food mm-hmm. being good or about or bodies being, or bodies bad, or being bad or bodies being good. Yes. And those messages then tr- being transmitted across the ether of friendship to, um, to this letter writer's child. And so the bigger question I have for both of you is, is there some point at which you do talk to the parents. Is there some point at which you tell your kid, sorry, uh, Jennifer's out. 
Or do you just like try and manage it as best as you can? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't think you should be uncomfortable saying to Jennifer straight up, as Amy suggested, listen, in our house, we don't do that. We don't, you know, it's and I think it's very OK to be explicit about it, to say why. Like, we don't do this because it's hurtful to people. We don't do it because it's also unhealthy to do. And then she goes home and tells her parents, maybe her parents will be the one to dump your kid and your problem will be solved. <laughs> I don't know. That's actually It reminds me of like, you know, you know how people are, we know how people who are like really good with money, like people who are like really good with it, like who never even like buy a coffee because they're like, it's wasteful. Or people who are like, um, you know, 35 or 45 and they are fine and they're adults and they have their own cars and they have money, but they still ask people to drive them to the airport because like they'd rather save, you know, $50 on parking for their vacation than like and and like impose on somebody like those kind of people. It's kind of the same thing. Like those kind of people also like do a thing where it's like you either are or you aren't. Like if you're not good with money, you're not a good person. And I think there's really something to like think about. Like if you have a particular thing that you're super into, that's like your lifestyle, because those super good with money people, it is a lifestyle for them. And they also, by the way, I would argue sometimes are kind of boring. Um, they like don't understand how their monastic, you know, commitment to this thing, which is how they live. It's not just something they do. It's how they live. They don't understand how it makes people feel when it's all they talk about. And it, it, what they're basically doing is like a value judgment thing of like, you don't do this. Well, there's something wrong with you for not, you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's something that I think people should really think about when they decide to live a certain way or when they can't help but live a certain way. It's really important to think about like, because how many kids of people like that just like go to college and like run up credit card debt because they've never been allowed to own anything new in their entire, you know what I mean? It's like it's the same kind of thing. You know, it's, it's food, but it's also other things. Um, I guess I'm just not a fan of like the full commitment monastic like thing at all in any <laughs> in any way. I guess it's just not my deal. Yeah, I, I agree. And and I think in terms of talking to the parents, like I really don't think they would be open to it. I think they would maybe nod and then they would <laughs> scoff scoff at you after you left and be like, but I think to, talking to Jennifer, giving her these subtle messages is really kind of subversive. I mean, I, I, I think it's great because she's going to go, are my parents weird because they do that? And I want her to come to the conclusion <laughs> that they hungry. are. I'm really desperate that she comes <laughs> to the conclusion that they are weird. Um, all right, Rebecca, are there any other like large classes of people you would like to disparage before we move on? So to, to alienate? Yeah. Oh, God. Let's see. You know, people who listen to and act on podcast ads are the worst. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, they're the best. They're the best. Oh no, yes, Slate the plus they're the people. They're the best. Slate plus people. Uh, they're good. They're good people. <laughs> never boring. Um. All right. Uh. So once again, if you have a question you would like us to answer on the air, leading us to viciously slander the parents of your children's friends, uh, please send us an email, mommandad at slate .com, or give us a call four two four two five five seven eight three three. Thank you to our listeners for those two questions. All right, it is time for recommendations. This is the part of the show where we recommend things. Recommendations. <laughs> Rebecca, what you got? <laughs> I've got a video series on YouTube that came out, I think it came out earlier this year or late last year. Um, it's called Star Wars by the Numbers. 
Uh, it's a really fun YouTube channel where they have these very colorful, eye-catching, uh, infographic, like journalistic-style videos that break down very particular details in the Star Wars movies by the numbers. So, for instance, the first one I watched was um, how many times Luke Skywalker Luke how many times Luke Skywalker asks a question in all the Star Wars movies, and it just it like has like it's a supercut of him just asking questions and then like a little counter in the bottom of the screen, and what you quickly learn is that all of Luke's dialogue is actually in the form of questions. Uh, Every Roger Roger in the Star Wars films. um, Exactly. Every lightsaber ignition in all the Star Wars films. Every time the word Jedi is said. um, It's really fun. It's fun in the way that, like, my husband, who's, like, a huge Star Wars fan, I'm not a huge fan, but I do love a good infographic. Like, he loves it. My sons loved it. But I could imagine if you had a little kid who was really into, like, Star Wars Legos and the Star Wars movies, they'd be super into this. Uh, The series is called Star Wars by the numbers i think the actual like youtube channel is like a star wars license thing i think it's like star wars kids or whatever anyway just look up star wars by the numbers you'll find it it's awesome that's very fun that calls to mind my favorite piece of star wars trivia that i firmly believe every parent must find a way to sit down with their children and talk to them seriously about which is that Mm. in the star wars universe jazz music is actually called jizz music (laughs) J-I-Z-Z. <laughs> That's canon. It's in multiple books. And so the the band at the, like, uh, in the, fir- the first the Star Wars movie, the Cantina band, they're a famous jizz band, a jizz ensemble. <laughs> That's so gross. That's just the way that it is, is out so... there in the galaxy, guys. So anyways, That is so friends, George Lucas. That is talk so to your children about jizz do. music. Yeah. Yeah, why not just, let's just change a letter. <laughs> Uh, all right. My recommendation today is a uh, a summer solution, a solution to the problems of summer. Um, it's a plan that we have enacted this week uh, that has made this week of our summer a totally great experience. So many of our listeners may, like us, spend like fucking hours and weeks in the winter and spring figuring out how you are scheduling your summer. What weeks are your kids doing? What camps? And when are they going to visit their grandparents? And when are you going to get your work done? And what do you do? And sometimes you can just like let them have a week off and they don't do anything. Um, Sometimes that's fine, but sometimes you just need them to fucking be somewhere so you can do your job. Or they are kids who like activities and they want things to do and and that just like takes so much energy and you feel like it's always the same. It's like, Oh, it's basketball camp again, or, Oh, great. Girl Scout camp is great, but like that's, that's only two weeks and it's expensive. And sometimes you take a vacation, but that's expensive. Um, so this week I am recording here in Durham, North Carolina, because, uh, it's a town I love a lot. I went to college near here. A bunch of our college friends, uh, live here in Durham. Um, a bunch of our other college friends who have kids around our kids age don't live in Durham, but like Durham. And we're also looking for things to do with their kids. So we somehow through like a fever of 1am emails managed to, uh, develop this crazy plan where we all came to Durham at the same time, the same week, we all signed our kids up for the exact same cheap ass day camp. In fact, they are there right now. (gasps) As we record this, um, and during the day, we all just all the adults just sort of knock around this 
big old house we rented and most of us are working. We're working on one thing or another. Like I'm editing stories and someone else is sending emails and sometimes someone will just mention a book they like and we'll talk about it a little while. And sometimes Alia goes upstairs to like do a, a lawyer call. But generally we're just like hanging out and most of us are working and camp is not anything special. It is a merely perfectly fine camp, but because it's in North Carolina, it's like dirt cheap. And uh, the kids don't care because they're having the greatest time because they've like taken over their section. It's like them plus three other poor assholes who have no idea why all these kids know each other. Um, And then they come home from camp and then they just play all afternoon and all night. And then we like start drinking at four. Uh, Boss, don't listen to this part. And uh, we have a great time. And I totally love it. I feel like we this is going to clearly be the best week of our summer for us and for our kids. Um, so next summer, when you're trying to figure out your plans, just round up a bunch of friends with kids, either local friends or faraway friends, and find a place to go and sign them all up for the shittiest camp you can find and just take a working vacation somewhere <laughs> fun. That's amazing. That's like a I genius. That's, I, it's a genius plan. It's yeah. so much fun. I'm like it's like regretting we have... that like my kids are too old to go to day camp now. Like I would totally I have done this. <laughs> I know. It's really great. It's like they have day camp and we also have day camp where we work some. Yeah. But we're like a little drunk. <laughs> so it's good. Uh, Amy, what do you have to recommend for us today? Um, I so Patrick, um, his musical tastes are kind of four-year-old musical taste like he asks for jingle bells year-round and that kind of thing (laughs) and i get really really tired of the kids music and stuff like that and so um i have a recommendation it's a soundtrack um of a little musical you probably never heard of it it's called hamilton (laughs) 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 but patrick is so into it like he i mean i he was like, play not shot again. Play not shot. He calls it not shot. Mm-hmm. And he's he's super into it. And he loves the King George ones. But the only thing, of course, is that I have to turn down the volume sometimes. Like, I'm, I'll kill your friends and family to remind you of my love, that kind of thing. Oh, you don't think he's ready for that yet? I don't think he's ready for it. I don't think he's ready for it. And some of the, you know, some of the other songs are a little racy. Mm-hmm. Um, but he loves it. And Hamilton and that lady straight up do it. They do it. Yeah. And um, and so I I highly recommend it. It's not Jingle Bells. It's working for me right now. I think a great sort of broader thing to take from that recommendation is that musicals in general are just a great thing to play for like four or five, six year olds. Yes. Because mm. they're like a great lesson that music can tell a story bigger than jingling all the way. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Maybe I'll branch out into other musical soundtracks. We we have this is this is right about the age where we started playing musicals for our kids, and they really were. They're they're made to be sing alongable. We don't like play them a lot of Sondheim to start with, but like they're made to be sing alongable, and um and they tell a story from beginning to end, and you and kids pick up on that. Like they get that there's recurring characters and themes, and they they've noticed that stuff. It's very delightful. Yeah. I have a second recommendation. Can I Ooh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So a, a recommendation I have is buy your kids puzzles at the thrift store. Aren't they always missing pieces? Yes. But it's okay <laughs> because they're going to be missing pieces anyway and they're $2. That's fair. That's fair. And so I, you know, Patrick is really into puzzles right now and I'm like, I'm... I'm not going to spend, I mean, puzzles are actually really expensive when you buy them new. And so you get them at the thrift store, you bring them home. They might be missing a piece. They might not. Some Mm. of them are 
you have all of them for that moment, and mm. then you lose some of them. But um, definitely for four-year-olds buying that's, thrift that, store. That's puzzles. a really great recommendation. Yes, puzzles are like sixteen ninety-nine. <laughs> They're so expensive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's because they have to. They, the pieces are so small they can only be cut out by children yeah. with little scissors <laughs> in factories. Scissors. Yeah. Do you know that those pieces all have names? Did you know that? They like have... all this type piece. Oh, like, I learned really? this last year. My my son, when he was a Senate page, he was one of his page school teachers was like a jigsaw puzzle like champion or like a top ten like ranked. Apparently, that's a thing. You could be like a ranked jigsaw puzzler, well, and he learned all of those pieces. There are a number of things you said in that sentence that are insane. Yes, it's crazy. Well, that, this is, I wanted okay. to like the, the obscure way I found this bit of information to me like is how I remember it. But each of those pieces, like there are standard puzzle piece shapes and they each have a name. And of course, I can't remember any of them now, but there are things like like the double knot and the the the, the yoke or whatever. And they all have like like the knob thing has a name, the little like female male like puzzle thing. They all have a name. They, they do. See, so you can I so, like, give them like, names. I'll puzzlers. Say, oh, this one has a shoulder. You know, like, I, I give them names. Uh, puzzle pieces can have loops and sockets, knobs and holes, tabs and slots, keys and locks, and any of several other alternative designations. See, that's a shoulder. Oh, that's see, I remember I remember knots. <laughs> it's, it's very nautical. Like, the whole thing is very, is. like, they just yeah. adapted the language of, like, of ship rope tying to uh, puzzles. Someone did their thesis on this. Uh, all right. Great recommendation. Great, insane set of facts. Thank you, Rebecca. Um, <laughs> Thank you. You can see everything that we've endorsed on this podcast, plus all the other Slate podcasts at our special Endorsomatic, available now, slate.com slash endorsements. Thank you both for everything. That is our show. If you have a question you'd like to ask us on the air, please leave us a message. 424-255-7833. That's 424-255-RUDE. Or email us at slate.com. Join us on Facebook, please. And uh, join our active Jigsaw Puzzle naming group, which is coming up with brand new words for all the little bits of Jigsaw Puzzles. Just search for <laughs> Slate Parenting on Facebook. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Jess Jupiter. Thanks to WUNC in beautiful Durham, North Carolina. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Thank you. I'm Dan Coyce. Talk to you next time. If you were a Slate Plus member, here's what you would be hearing right now. Is the summer slump bullshit? My feeling, you hear a lot about kids over the summer losing their reading skills or forgetting how to do math or like suddenly being unable to pick up a fork. I don't know, like whatever, things happen. They lose skills over the summer. <laughs> and um, and I'm sure that kids forget some things over the summer. But to hear the rest of that bonus segment, please join Slate Plus. Plus you'll support everything that we do. It's at slate.com slash plus to sign up. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.